We're on the line with Georgia Labor Commissioner Bruce Thompson. And Commissioner, it's always good to talk to you. Scott, I'm so appreciative for the opportunity. Bottom line, sir, how healthy is the Georgia labor market now? Um, you know, that, that depends. You know, they, a lot of times people say it's really about your perception and your perspective. The perception is it's very, very good. And I would say that you can continue to see the numbers come out of companies that are moving here, job opportunities. That is very robust. So on one hand, we love the state of Georgia. It is a right-to-work state. Um, certainly opportunities are everywhere, and I think that goes back as a, a testament to Governor Deal and Governor Kemp and the General Assembly and what the focus has been on. It is a business-friendly state, and I think the numbers show that. On the other hand, it is so red-hot that these companies, as well as companies that have been here for years, all the way from mom and pop to ones that have been very large, Fortune 500, continue to struggle to be able to see or locate employees that they want to either replace as people retire or move away and or to expand. So we have a, a very robust economy, but we are missing the opportunities to even be stronger um, with, with the vacancies of, of available uh, labor pool. It's, it's weak. I don't know how else to say it. I stumble a little bit, but it's, it's, a, it's a very weak opportunity right now to be able to fill, and we're struggling that. to figure out how to do that. And with these high-tech EV and other green energy plants opening up, uh, what do we do about this? I mean, we've had a work-ready program for, for quite a while, a workforce-ready program. Is, does that need to be expanded? What's going on? Well, there's a lot of people out there that say you just need to get people back to work. And I'm here to tell you that literally everyone that was employed or the numbers that were employed prior to the pandemic are back. It's just we've got a rapidly expanding economy. And to what you're talking about right then, you've got EV. We have become the EV capital, so to speak, uh, of not only the southeast but the country. And these opportunities are coming here. You've got Quick Start that's over at TCSG. You have a lot of programs that are in place. But if you don't have the bodies available to do that, then training doesn't really accomplish what you're trying to do. And we are struggling as a state to locate those bodies. Um, I have talked about four verticals for the last prior to me coming into this position that I think we need to tap into. And the state is trying to do that. We're certainly trying to do it at the department of labor. You've got to get your Gen Zers involved. Um, in my opinion, we've been very successful in the private sector as well as at DOL with developing programs or opportunities, really not programs, but opportunities for Gen Zers. That generation, Scott, grew up experiential. And if you treat the Gen Zers the same way you treated maybe you and I, it just did not work. They do not want to be put in a cubicle and being given some edict or mandate, here's what you're going to do. And maybe in 16 months, you're going to have the opportunity to grow or to move up and be promoted. Doesn't work for them. It is a three, six, nine month progression. They want to have access to leadership. They want to see and they want to grow with the company. They'll be patient, but they certainly, it's a different mindset because they have grown up in a rapidly paced environment with technology and they like to experience. So that's one vertical. Obviously, our incarcerated, a lot of us are working on making sure that there's opportunities there, retirement community. Um, and then obviously our veterans, if we don't engage all of the availability and available uh, verticals that we have, we're never going to fill that, that void we have right now. And so 
programs are great, but if you don't have the people to put in the programs, we still have a major deficit. And I think, honestly, it could be at the detriment, if we're not careful, of the existing businesses that are here. We certainly do not want to see poaching take place as companies come to our state and they wind up having to poach current employees from the existing businesses that have been here. Well, well, well there's my story right there. Uh, I got a couple other quick things to ask you about here. Do um, Is the writers and actors strike factoring into the numbers yet? And we have a huge entertainment industry here. You know, the, the, the movie industry is very robust. We know that depending on what statistic you look at, um, we literally can be the number one place for film production in, in the country overtaking Hollywood. So it really depends on how you look at it. But we know that it is very robust, whether you're looking at a Trillith or Tyler Perry Studios or Third Rail, any of them. Um, Georgia is a place they come to do that. Certainly it is impacting them. And, you know, the, the underlying story that's really not being told, Scott, is sure, the actors and, and the unions there have decided to strike and they've shut down production. You know who's really suffering? And, and Frank Patterson shared with me when I went down and, and toured Trillith maybe a year and a half ago. He said, it is true. Movies are produced here. And we're very proud of that. But we have thousands of tradespeople here that are electricians and carpenters and mechanics on cars and food service and, and everything that's happening almost like an ecosystem of a city. They're the ones, honestly, Scott, that are suffering right now because without production, you're not building sets and tearing down and pouring concrete and building walls and doing lighting and feeding people and fixing the cars and all of those kinds of things. And so I'm very concerned about what that's going to show up if this continues on in our unemployment numbers. Um, are we seeing it right now? We're starting to see it, but the breakout hasn't been done yet because it wasn't done in the past. I have asked my labor management department to go in and become as granular as we can. Let's get to the bottom and look at what those numbers really are. But we know that entertainment sector as a whole is starting to creep up. Let me ask you another sector question, then. Uh, what seems to be more teacher and other education staff shortages, such as bus drivers, any thoughts on how the state could incent more folks to go into or stay in education, or is that pretty much up to the state legislature? You know, that's, that is a, that's, a, that's a decision that's really got to be made on the executive branch as well as the legislative branch. When I served in the Senate, we had—this has been a, a challenge for our state for a number of years— Governor Kemp has invested in teachers uh, from a financial standpoint to, to let them know, hey, we value you. We want you to stay in it. But I think it's a lot more than money. Um, you know, I just talked to a teacher this weekend, and they're, they're leaving after just being in it for, for eight or nine years. And in the environment, the teaching environment is so different. She shared with me and said, I, I am not a teacher any longer. Now I am really almost like someone that is is managing the expectations of a classroom um, instead of actually pouring into students. And it's, it would, it's a little bit like they used to be a coach and they could take someone and teach them and, and, and really change their life. And a lot of teachers are really feeling defeated on the, the lack of ability to be able to do that in, a, in the classroom. And so I think that has got to change the dynamics from top to bottom across the country, not just our state, because I think we have a great state, but, 
it's a it's a challenging environment right now for teachers, um, not just around the funding piece, although that is a piece. But I think the General Assembly and the governors tried to address that. Um, I thought you were going to talk about yellow freight and our logistics and. And that's a big story right now. Oh yeah, well I'm glad you mentioned that. That that just broke this morning with with Yellow Freight going uh going down. Uh, they've been in business for 99 years and you know, I don't have to tell you how important the logistics business is here. Well, if I if I remember correctly, they're the third largest in the country and um one of the companies I had for years, we we would get a 59-foot tractor trailer um, every week and it was yellow freight and he had those relationships and that can be a disruption that can be very significant in our state. As we know, our port is growing. We know that there's inland ports being placed, whether it be in Gainesville or throughout the state, because we have so many goods that come in through the investment we made down in um, the port of Savannah. And um, they come in by rail and truck and then they've got to be dispersed, not only in our state, but around the southeast or even further. And if you take a carrier like that, and if they truly do close completely, yes, it's going to be significant on the unemployment, but even bigger, what can that do to logistics of moving goods around not only Georgia, but our southeast? It could really create a problem in our supply chain. On the unemployment side, you know, Department of Labor in concert with our relationship with TCSG. Um, we have rapid response, so we are at teams that are ready to go and address the needs of those employees. But bigger than that, this could affect the entire state and, and everyone that lives here. So the regional headquarters is in Marietta. Do you have any idea how many employees we're talking about being affected here? Um, you know, we're still trying to ascertain what that looks like, uh, but uh, I think in Marietta, if I read correctly, it was somewhere between four and 500 employees there, but you know, totality, I I believe I'm correct in saying Yellow Freight in total is about 30,000 people. So nationwide, I mean, that's it's a big operation and um, it's pretty significant and should not take it lightly. For sure. I, I did want to ask you one more thing about the fraud investigations. Have you got time for that? Absolutely. Okay, super. Yeah. But last time we spoke, uh, you were trying to get to the bottom of the unemployment benefits that were going to folks who probably shouldn't have been getting them during the pandemic. Where does that all stand now? So we continue to do investigation internally. Now, it, it's challenging. It sounds like a broken record. But, um, you know, we lost significant funding at the Department of Labor when I came in. Um, our budget uh, was about $170 million. It's $100 million is what I'm told now. So a lot of the resources and the people that we would have deployed focus on that. We just don't have the funding for right now. But we're making the best we can of it. I think the General Assembly um, is certainly looking at what we're doing as we're retooling here so that we can be in better position to do it in the future. But what we are doing is overpayment and our investigative group that we have. It should be a unit. But group is we're continuing to look at some of those and match them up and using USDOL and NASWA to be able to help with that. So we're doing that. I know that um, Scott, who used to be our IG here, had prepared several things um, that they had investigated and, and brought to the point where they can do something with that. Again, we're not an investigative unit where we have any teeth to be able to do anything with, but we certainly can cooperate and internally be able to, to vet that out. So we're working very hard on the internal fraud. It was the, some of the payments that were paid out. One of the things that um, the media reported on a little bit was we're a unique state 
and only a few states do this, and that is employer partial filed claims. And it's a it's really a relationship benefit or privilege that employers that are going to um, lay off employees for a date certain period of time, maybe the retooling, or maybe they're they have a, a project that didn't get started on time, so they're gonna they're gonna lay off people for a short period of time. A way to be able to make sure those employees do not defect or leave that company or separate permanently and go find work somewhere else is we allow the employer to be able to file that claim. Again, not every state does that. And um, we found that that was a real interesting opportunity for fraudsters that established their companies during the pandemic. It was a national phenomenon, had not affected the state of Georgia. We were watching it. It affected. It caused us to shut that privilege down for a period of time, a period of time that was way more than I wanted, almost six weeks. It put employers in a tough spot. But the reason we had to do that is we had to go in and reprogram to identify more specific, more granular companies that would have been established during that period of time and or maybe we're not in good standing. And, and we finally got that back up and running. But that is another uh, response to fraud is fraud is continuing in a rampant fashion across the country. Um, one of the big things that we're doing, um, and I appreciate the executive branch allowing us to do this, but most states have modernized their departments of labor software. Our software was built in 1982. Oh. So therefore, there are, it's, it's a complex system that does not allow us the benefit of some fraud detection, some efficiencies, and or the ability for us to be able to comply with audits. And so when we do some things um, or are requested to do some things, it literally causes us to shut the system down and or utilize a lot more human capital than we should. The reason I say I'm grateful is we were able to um, have outside companies and or USDO help us with figuring out what a new system should look like based on what other states have done and put an RFP in place um, and the state has allowed that to move forward. We're obviously going to have to secure the funding and ask the General Assembly to fund it um, in concert with the feds. But that once it's once it's deployed, and I believe we can do that, it's about a year and a half to two-year process. The, the, the most rapid process of putting a system in place has been 30 months. I believe that was Wyoming. We're pressing asking for 18 to 24 months. I believe we can do that. But that, again, in the future will help us with a lot of this fraud. Um, so there's a lot of things moving or uh, a lot of things in play to do that. Not all of them are quick. Not all of them are easy. Most of them are expensive, but certainly it's an investment we must do if we're going to stop the $4 billion of fraud that was um, identified by USDOL just in our state. Just in Georgia. Wow. Yes, sir. Georgia Labor Commissioner Bruce Thompson, I always learn a lot when I speak to you. Hey, thanks for spending this time with our listeners. Scott, I appreciate it. Glad to have the chance to be able to talk with you, and I appreciate what you do for all of us that are in the listening area of WSB. All right.